Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's wow, you look so happy. Uh, it's me, Chris Denson, your gracious host, coming at you once again. In case you're tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things, and uh, there's a very giddy Nicole Yershon. Say hello, Nicole. Hello, Nicole. <laughs> How are you doing, Nicole? I'm good, thank you. Um, you're feeling a little under the weather, I hear. I am. I'm a little bit... Um, yeah, I stayed in a hotel that was full of air conditioning, so it's just left me a little bit coldy. Well, that's what happens when you when you come to LA. I you know. know. It's, it gets a little... Aircon. Um, so let's, let's, let's... Shall we begin? Let's start at the very beginning. Let's start at... You should do it. <laughs> let's start at the... So you, you recently wrote a book called Rouge... What does it say? Rough Diamond. <laughs> um, before we get to the book, why don't you give us a little bit of a 101 on who Nicole Yershon is? Um, and we'll, we'll, then we'll start talking about the, the Rough Diamond. Okay. I am just a regular chick who happens to be a little bit naughty, a bit maverick, and doesn't really accept if someone says no that it can't be done. So we'll just keep pushing and pushing the boundaries but a very nice person, kind heart, decent. Um, yeah, that that sums me up. Uh, so you know, you, uh, historically, you, this is not your first rodeo, at least the innovation rodeo. Yeah. Uh, from a crush perspective, it's your second time on the show. So, hey, uh, thank you. But live now this time. Yes, this is yeah. Well, you weren't dead the last time. You no, yeah. I was living, but I was, <laughs> I was on another continent. Now we're, I'm sitting in LA with you. Um, at, uh, our Airbnb. Yes. And um, no, happy to be here. So you've recently made this uh, transition from um, entrepreneur to entrepreneur to author. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of like spaces in between the letters that make up what your life is like right now. Um, but what's your ethos? Like, what's the Nicole Yershon message? You know, when I look at the book, Rough Diamond, when I hear about you as an entrepreneur and irresistible force against immovable objects, if I remember that correctly. Thank you. Um, and just, you know, sort of all around, I'm going to say know it all, but in a good way. <laughs> what is the, what's the I say curious. Yeah, well, yes, but you're dangerously, you're a good, like, you're curious beyond curious. It's a, it's a different. Yeah, my other half says to me that um, he calls me, um, Oh, what's he call me? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> it's a nice thing. Absolutely. We'll, we'll get back to it. Yeah. Dangerously innocent. Dangerously innocent. Yeah. Uh, explain that. Well, because I look all very innocent and sound all very innocent, but behind that, there's those shark eyes. <laughs> that just won't stop. But, um, if I really feel it in, in, my, in my tummy and intuition that I need to go forward on a certain road, then I'll just keep moving forward. And there's nothing that's going to stop it. Um, what does that take? You know, and we're going to go back to your other moniker, um, your irresistible force against immovable objects. I think everything you just said kind of dovetails nicely into that, where it is like, I see something, I'm going to go for it, kind of no matter what, and yeah. re remain what I kind of refer to as relentlessly optimistic. Mm. Um, you know, uh, but what is that? Is that a trained muscle or is that just, a, is that just who you are? I think I'm a, I'm creative and so therefore I'm a problem solver. So therefore I don't see disruption as a negative thing. I see it as change. So my whole 
thing is turning disruption into an advantage. And that's pretty much what I've done most of my life is if I've come up against something and um, I've, I've seen another way through or I've questioned why or who says or how come, I've not got the answer that I've needed. And so therefore I've just pushed through or found someone somewhere who could do it in a different way and better and stronger and faster. I love that because it's, it's uh, I think anybody who wants to see any sort of change in their life and their work, like that's what it takes. But mm. a lot of us hit roadblocks of, of many sorts yeah. and a lot of us stop at those roadblocks. Yeah. Like what's the difference between stopping and continuing to go? Like, um, it's that is something I think that you're wired with because um, they're often I question myself when I think, why am I doing that? And but you can't help yourself. <laughs> Very true. You, you just know that there is another way to do it and so you're just going to try but but you're not you're fearless and then that's something that's in the book um, the fearless manifesto you you just think well what's the worst that can happen so you'll just try it and you'll just give it a go and don't see it as failure you just see it as another piece of learning um give us a practical example in your life of like putting that to work um, I think pretty much everything that I was doing in my working life was was pushing it um, to all the boundaries because most of the things that we did um, at Ogilvy Labs especially had never been done before. So most people were frightened to do it and most of the suppliers and the partners that we were working with were energised but we were all frightened because we didn't know whether we could deliver it but we just kept moving it forward. It's a little bit like a snakes and ladders game. You know, you go up three and you, you come down a few and, and in the end you get there. You do get there in the end and it's that tenacity um, of just knowing that I think the more people would get frightened, the more excited I would become because, <laughs> because you know that the more pain there is, the more satisfying it's going to be and it's going to work out in the end. And then the air gets thinner, the, yeah. higher, the higher you go, right? Because... because it, Especially when you have multiple stakeholders, yeah. there's a, and a, a, that's why one of the things I, I love about the book and just your perspective in general is that you realize that there are hurdles and those hurdles get higher the higher you go. Um, well, I think the main thing is to get the buy-in from the person at the very top and then anything else so you know that they've got your back. Um, and then anything else, you keep the teams very, very small. So the hurdles are smaller with a smaller team, that, a task team that you can all get through because you all want the same thing. The minute it starts to get um, that there are bigger teams, which is how, you know, the business model, how a lot of companies are, um, are going, is they bill uh, with people's time. And so, therefore, it makes sense to them to have a lot of people on on these jobs. But for the work that I do with innovating, it makes sense for me to have a small amount of people on the job because then you can cut through much quicker. Agile. That's awesome. Um, and I, I take it <laughs> that that did that come from some trial and error, right? Because yeah. I think a lot of us, same thing. It's like you get into a room, you're like, hey, everybody's going to love this. And then everybody does love it until a week goes by and then yeah. two weeks and then yeah. a month and then two months later, it's like, why are we doing this? I think that's because I, I have a traffic background. So traffic within an advertising agency, you know, going back to the um, late 80s with Dave Trott. 
Traffic is progress control. So you make things happen on time. The right people see it doesn't go over budget. And you learn very quickly who the doers are. You know, you want something done. You ask a busy person. And so therefore, if you have a room full of people and nothing's getting done, it's because no one wants to take responsibility or they're paralyzed or they're scared or there's a million and one reasons as to why they don't. But that's why you keep it a small team and those small team are the people that you've spotted, the rough diamonds, who do actually want to get something done. And they're the ones that you kind of go off on a little covert mission, go under the radar and you make it happen. And they're still having meetings. <laughs> but you, you can't sit still in these meetings. So it, it doesn't suit that personality. Funny story. My, my brother actually runs um, economic development for the city of Detroit, where LinkedIn just announced that they're going to be opening an office there. First it was Microsoft, then it was LinkedIn, so on and so forth. Yeah. And my brother, when I saw him last week, he goes, the mayor called me and said, why didn't I know about this LinkedIn deal? And he's like, because every time I tell everybody, it goes to shit. They're like, it just falls apart. Yeah. And it's exactly what, what you're saying. Um, and that, that's, I mean, that's pretty amazing. So when you talk about this team of rough diamonds, what, what is a rough diamond? What's the Nicole Yershon definition of, of rouge diamond? I think a rough diamond is, um, I think there's a lot of them around, like the Richard Bransons, um, uh, the Elon Musk, the Steve Jobs, the people who haven't gone to school necessarily or have questioned things when they were at school and teachers have thought that they were a pain in the ass and kind of sit down and shut up and I don't want to hear from you in eight hours. And they're constantly saying, but why and how come and who says and why not? And they're, they're the pain and they're the ones that are about to be expelled um, at age 14. They're the ones that are thinking differently, who aren't going to accept the status quo, who know there's another way of doing it and can't help themselves. And they want to be, a, and they're makers and they're doers and they're curious. Um, and I can just normally spot them quite easily within an organisation especially. Um, that's great. And so when you, with the book, turning disruption into advantage in business and life, you know, there's an interesting juxtaposition there that most yeah. people don't expect, especially the life part. Yeah. Right. And it's like most of us, if, if I pick this book in the bookstore, I'm like, oh, cool. I'll be able to work better. But then I go, I read the rest of it. Yeah. It's like life. Um, so where does, where do you make, where, where do you draw that connection between business and life in the guise of a, of well, for a, me, a, I don't see a distinction between the two. It's just life. It is life. Uh, there's no work-life balance. It just is life. So everything that I've learned in life, I've attached to what I do in my business life. It's all the same thing. It's just the learnings that I've learned. Say, it, you know, the book talks about divorce from, um, you know, a childhood, my childhood sweetheart uh, that I was with from, you know, age 14, 15, and the, the difficulties that I went through with that and how I then attached that to when Ogilvy closed down the um, innovation lab. That was like a second divorce. And I just took all the learnings upon what I learned from the first one and put it into the leaving Ogilvy. And it just made me stronger because I'd already had a benchmark as to how to act and react and um, it was all the same. It, there wasn't a differentiation. So what, is, what are some, like, give me a couple of parallels between relationship divorce and work divorce. <laughs> okay, so um, relationship divorce could have gone down the route of divorce lawyers and messing my kids up and bad-mouthing my ex-husband, And but I wouldn't do that. I stayed gracious and I, it goes through, you know, my thoughts and feelings and, and how I was able to do that and give some kind of proper life tools as to how I was able to do that in the book. And then within business, and I went through that with Ogilvy, I applied exactly the same structure, graciousness, 
um, honesty, um, leaving there with my head held high and um, and only talking the truth and not being paid off to say another story um, and not getting lawyers involved and leaving very um, calmly and and um, and knowing that the time was right and that there would be a benefit to it. I didn't know at that time because it's, it's very painful. The same with divorce, it's very painful. You can't see the benefit at the time. But six months later, then you think, oh my God, they did me a favor. Um, in either case, <laughs> there's this spirit that's required of uh, reinvention. Mm. You know, especially especially for you in both cases, childhood sweetheart and 13, 14 years. Seventeen. years. <laughs> like those like <laughs> life sentence. <laughs> yes. Uh, but hey, it's probably like, yeah, I'm sure you really uh, realize the relief at the end of it at some point. But um how did you approach reinvention? You know, in in either case, yeah. like drawing the parallel, but it's it's um it's scary. And I'm not going to say that it's easy because it isn't. But I remember going um, to Summit at Sea last year and I'd literally just left Ogilvy and um, had no idea what I was doing. I had no business cards. I had no website. I had, I didn't know whether I was going to set up on my own or look for another job. And and I met this guy at Summit at Sea and we were chatting and he said, you know, who, who are you? And I said, I'm Nicole from Nicole. And there was this enormous realization that you know ev- that I was wrapped up in my whole you know I'm Nicole I'm I'm head of innovation at Ogilvy London and and once you peel that away and you're just yourself then you have got to just look at yourself in the mirror and just think I've got all these years experience that um, it's not that I was part of I was part of something but I'm still me at right. the core and it was very interesting he then said oh my gosh you've got lots of stories um that should get written down in a book um and I said oh no I'm not you know I'm not a writer that's not my thing so he said well no I mean I think you should definitely think about doing that I'm a publisher and we can work through it and and a year later I'm an author I've published a book now it wasn't easy did I think that I was ever going to do that no I didn't but once you start down this road there's kind of like something just gets hold of you and you you can't stop what was the process like uh, you know from that moment where you go like I'm Nicole um (laughs) to actualizing that because I I think there's one thing I think a lot of creativity or innovators get tied to an output like a a, like you said I'm I I lead the lab like that that is who I am yeah uh but not realizing like you are what you've always said you are is this the irresistible force against the movable objects and that can be anywhere anything any place um, I'm a human. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm not structured by the job, the job that I do. But eventually, it had to be like it had to make practical business sense, right? You have a livelihood, yeah. you have rent, like all <laughs> all those yeah. things. So, like, when did you start to really actualize on like, okay, now I know who Nicole Yashan is as yeah. a brand? Um, I think I was going through the process as I was um, coming out of Ogilvy, so maybe it took. Probably about 12 weeks, having lots of incredible conversations. The more conversations you have, the more you open yourself up, um, the more avenues that then become available. And then you just start to feel within you what gives you energy, what what makes you smile, what makes you think, I can do this. And there's a lot of conversations where I they drained me and I thought, I'm crap. And there were other conversations. I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I, I'm, I know this, I know that. And you just kind of surround yourself and start to uh, work out what you don't like. 
And, and then it kind of slowly starts to come about. And then the book came about at the same time that I was building three businesses. So I built NYC, which is Nicole Yershon Consulting. And then I built Lab for Hire, which was um, basically the lab that I'd set up in Ogilvy is now outside of Ogilvy. And it's very executional. And it actually is moving away from advertising or marketing. You know, I'm doing some work with Danone at the moment with their supply chain. And it's working with with 50 um, global supply chain leaders. And they, they call it from the cow to consumer. So working out what's their supply chain going to be like in one year, five years, 10 years, you know, those are things that I wouldn't have done necessarily within an ad agency, but they're very relevant to business. And it, it was very, you know, that's where I was trying to push Ogilvy in the early days to try and move away from just staying within marketing and a 30 second ad. So it, it was slowly but surely I started to work on things that um, felt comfortable for me, gave me energy, made me smile. And that started to define these three businesses. So the consulting, the lab for hire, and now Rough Diamond, which is publishing. So from the book then came an online course because I kind of felt everyone knows what an entrepreneur is. No one knows what an entrepreneur is. No one knows how to have those skills um, or, or a toolbox of how do you allow yourself to be entrepreneurial within a large company when they normally say no. And it just gives them lots of those kind of stories as to how I did it. So I'm not just talking about trends. I'm not just talking about this is what I think. I've actually done them. Yeah. So it's a very practical guide that is in a book that is also now on an online course. And, you know, soon we hope to open up a school, a free school in London. We're just looking for... Um, uh, a building we've got you know government funding now and headmistresses in, in place and and so that will be you know all part and parcel of rough diamond that's amazing yeah i know in um, a year <laughs> one year what when did you panic every day in the <laughs> early days yeah pretty much my dad would um uh, would phone me up and say how are you feeling this morning and i couldn't get my head around not having a monthly salary that really messed with my head big time because yeah. obviously you you know I'm supporting two kids and mortgage and um and also Hi, I Claudia. <laughs> but also <laughs> I wanted um you know I I couldn't get my head around not going into an office and being with my team I really miss my team a lot mm -hmm. um and that you know you you're you're, you're you're almost a robot, actually, because when you come away from it, it's very hard to to decompress and move away and start thinking, what well, I can do anything. Right. And that actually is more scary. Is I guess it's a bit like a prisoner. What was it? The Green Mile, <laughs> where they or they come out of prison and they they don't know how to work in the real world. Yes. That's possibly how it felt in the very early days. Is that the best prison movie you can think of on, on the fly? No, I was thinking. Of, what was I thinking of the other one. Um, Oh, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Like, ah! <laughs> Did you smell like poop when you came out of it? Okay. No. Like, this way, well, almost. Because um, there's this there's this thing of uh, a juxtaposition of grief and evolution. Yeah. Right. And, and most of us assume grief, and this is actually kind of poetic with your story. Assume grief deals with we lost a person in our lives. Yeah. Where it's really like a change in circumstance yeah. and like leaving an old thing behind is grief. And through like one of my favorite, I was just talking to a friend of mine about this the other day is like when my grandmother passed, the best thing about it, ironically, is that when our family got together, 
right? Yeah. You see, like it was probably in the benefit. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was great to sit around and eat and like joke and do all. Yeah. It, we almost forgot about the grief. Yeah. You know, use the quotation marks. Um, and then through that, right? You know, in, in the in a business sense, it's like it's created a like a white canvas for you, which mm. it's nervous if you never painted before and like that. Um, mm. To take a metaphor too far. But, um, <laughs> but like, you know, was there an inter like, how did you approach the, the, the grief versus the, you know, seizing the opportunity? Yeah. Um, it made me, I, I keep saying the last five years, cause it goes through in the book, what I've been doing in the last, what's happened to me in the last five years, it has made, they've been the worst time of my life and the best time of my life. So it's made me a better person. As long as you can start to understand the learnings as to why things happen, how to behave, how to engage with other people, what have you learned from it? Um, and the, life isn't perfect. You know, we see on social media and Instagram, et cetera, um, posts of a, of a perfect life. And life isn't perfect, but it's how we deal with it. And that's why it's kind of me, especially, it's the disruption bit is how I've turned that all the time into an advantage. I don't see it as um, disruption in a negative form. I just see it as change. And change actually has made me a better person. Um, when you talk, I think in some ways we aggrandize, if, if that's a word, uh, disruption. You know, I was in a conversation recently and somebody was like, oh, we're going to disrupt the postal industry. I'm like, that's like a lot of people's livelihoods, right? Like, <laughs> like blind disruption isn't always great. So like what, and you know, you started off first, so like you're a human being, like you are dis disgustingly innocent. What was it? No, just, <laughs> just uh, dangerously, dangerously innocent. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, where does the heart come into the disruption? Like, where does the heart, like, because a lot of us, a lot of companies are like, oh, we like, I you think kick in the door, but. If it's going to happen anyway, that's change. Mm -hmm. So, and there are a lot of things that are not great about change. My mum passing away was changed, wasn't great. But so there's something within each human where you just have to embrace it. And it's, you know, within the book, it just shows my experiences of embracing that change, even if it's bad. Now, as much as this as kind of like you said you're wired for this you specifically mm. but you're also going to teach it you have a book that yeah. just shows other people the way yeah. um what does what does the educational version of this look like what does the course look like what does the school potentially look like um well the school is is um is very exciting for me because it the rough diamond the title came from the um, future talent program that i set up at ogilvy uh, which was to get kids in from age 14 from deprived areas in London um, into uh, Ogilvy, which predominantly would always hire white middle-class Oxbridge educated. And it was because I could see that actually the people that they needed were the, the, the rough diamonds. So um, for me, the school will, will give those 14-year-olds who are about to be expelled a chance at going to this free school, a creative school, and, and hopefully not think that they're on the scrap heap at age 14 and, and give them a school to go to that's full of creativity and is going to help them. And the online course will be part of that learning. You know, it will, it will show them that um, there are different ways um, in which to move themselves forward. 
that doesn't always have to be a star and going to an Oxbridge University. Um, you're smiling. You like that? No, yeah, you, uh, no, you, you're, you're, you're the consummate <laughs> professional and, and well spoken. Um, but you knew that. But I was thinking about this. I had like a almost like an X Men metaphor, right? Like you're Professor Xavier, except <laughs> you're you're not bald and you're not in a wheelchair. Um, and there's this kind of like land of misfit toys or place yeah. where these rough diamonds don't always belong. How do I recognize if I'm a rough diamond and how do I seek you out? Because you're ta- a lot of what you're saying, like you spot talent, yeah. but the other way around is like there's a hunger that either well, you have. It, I think it's a tribe thing with like I spotted you, you spotted me. It's a curiosity. It's uh, a wanting to get things done, make things, do things differently, question things. It's that's all within someone who wouldn't necessarily be great at school because they're questioning the system, wouldn't necessarily be great in a large organisation because they're questioning the process. You know, these are people that I think, you know, you can't run a whole company with them, um, but you do need them, in, especially with this change that is going on, with technology, with the world in general, with wanting to... Um, do things differently, work differently, not having to necessarily do a nine-to-five. Kids don't want to own a house. They don't want to own a car. They want to live a different kind of life. They want the planet to be there for when they're older. It's, you know, everything is changing, and I just think it's being cognizant of different personalities that won't always fit in a box. Is it exhausting, though, to have so many points of consideration? Right, like if societal well, if norms. Take, well, not if you take one, <laughs> you have to take one thing at a time, and so normally you're working on one problem and finding the right solution. But at the same time, though, you, I think there's a skill that almost like if you're an executive producer of a film, yeah. right? You have to know lighting, you have yeah. to know acting sure. and directing talent, and not everybody can be an executive. But that's that's where my wisdom comes in with my black book. <laughs> To explain the black book. The black book. I think I might have explained it the first time when um, we were was, doing. By the way, you, you realize you broke all sorts of records the last time you were on the show. Did I? However, yay! Yeah, exactly. I think you, yeah, you were the first Brit on, on the show. <laughs> so we were like, what? What did she say? Uh, can you, and then they were passing it around, saying, "Do you guys understand this?" <laughs> um, so it went viral. <laughs> it went viral just out of just clarity. Well, they just need to tweet me, and I'll I'll, I'll put them straight. Um, but no, my black book is is from seeing many, many people, 10 to 15 different companies every single week. I literally just turned to yeah. chapter 10, the black book. It's all about people. Yeah. Not about black people. Okay. No. I was, that's what I was confused with. All people. Okay. Yeah. No, but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And uh, it's, it's about seeing, you know, as many different people and companies as possible and then being able to be this super connector. So that when there is a specific problem or you're working on something with different people, you know the right people who know way more than you, who you can drill down to and make stuff happen. But you've got to be able to have met these people and offered them a cup of tea or or had a Skype call or seen the whites of their eyes or else you can't kind of dig deep enough to really find out what it is that they do that's relevant to stick in your head. I mean, that is my thing. I think I think it's your thing as well Mm -hmm. is we are able to instantly connect when someone starts talking about something we think i know the right person to connect with that person and it just and it's just right and that's just how we that's how we go about doing our business but that's not measured on a spreadsheet do you do you believe in 
the magic of what you do. And I say that because <clears throat> you, know, you talk about like kind of being able to connect these dots, having a Rolodex full of individuals. I find a lot of times that I may have a conversation with you and then a day later I meet the exact person that's a perfect match for yeah. you. Or you know, like, yeah, you're like, I was literally just talking about this yesterday. Like, yeah. have you explored the magic of the, you know, being a rough diamond? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of it is, it depends, depends if you're a believer or, you know, <laughs> but it, it's alchemy, it is magic. It's, um, you, it's being open-minded, open-hearted to make these things happen. It's an energy thing where you'll think about something um, once or twice and then something will happen, that exact same thing. You, you put it out there enough. Mm -hmm. I am convinced of that. No, I, I, and I believe it too. It's just I'm not wanting to sound a woo-woo. No, I, but I, but I think it's part uh, like any any creative expression, right? And I think about like surgeons, right? Yeah. Like the you know there's a there's an artistry to it. There's people you get in a zone. We talk about flow, and I, I don't want to get all yeah. woo-woo either. But you know things happen, and it yeah. sounds mechanical, but uh, but also at the same time because when you talk about like basically in terms of developing relationships, it's a genuine connection. Yeah. I know earlier on in my career, it was like, all right, what am I here for? What are we going to talk about? Mm -hmm. And like, are we going to get something done together? And not really like realizing like really the relationship is far more important than the desired outcome in the moment. Yeah. I think that that can also work against you. So there are people that don't get us, don't mm -hmm. get me, um, because I can work out in a flat second just by looking at them in the eyes. I can just see exactly what is going on inside. I'm not judging them to be good, bad, indifferent. I'm just understanding that they're hiding something and they're not an authentic person and they know that I know. Um, <laughs> and that becomes difficult at times. So it can work a little bit against you. You don't mean to convey that, you know, that you can see right through them. <laughs> But it, it, it's uncomfortable sometimes for people be, who aren't at, at the, the same stage. I think, so. you know, some of us make decisions, and I've been there several times, where it's like maybe that person that you, there's something about them that you wouldn't normally, like, socialize them, socialize with them in, in a setting. Yeah. But they may have that thing you need, right? Like the, the VR plug, I don't know, like whatever yeah. the, the whatever you came to that table for is like, all right, do I, do I want the thing or do I want the person or is For me, it's always the person, right? never the thing. Always the person. Because I can't work with someone that doesn't want to work with me. Right. It, it's a collaboration. It's not a, it, it doesn't work in that old fashioned way that a lot of companies still work, which is I say jump and you say how high. It doesn't work in that supplier uh, way. It works in a in a collaborative way because you can't know everything. Uh, tell me about your dad. Oh my, bless my daddy. He's so amazing. He's, he's, he was my, the favorite person I met in London. Oh really? It was. I was like, I actually had a really good time. I was like, can you be my dad too? Uh, he, he said no. It's... But um, <laughs> but I did ask. <laughs> No, like I'm, he's a a legend of sorts yeah. in um in in advertising and marketing. Yeah. Um, in what ways are you similar, and in what ways are you distinctly different? Oh my gosh, he's shark eyes. You don't want to be messing with him. But yet again, he's um he's he's got this quality of 
this love of life and um and he's now getting going again in in disrupting um a whole lot of stuff that's happening at the minute that he can see other ways forward and we're really loving working together it's it's really exciting having the you know because i went into the business on the creative side he was always on the media side took media out of creative agencies and now we're very um <clears throat> it now's the time for us to be working together that's so, fantastic. Yeah, he's chairman of my company and he's got more um, spirit and energy than than most people. Um, that, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. I had a blast talking to him. Um, and so. he was voted um, uh, one of the 50 game changers in, um, over the last 100 years uh, in, um, in the ad industry. Yeah. Nice. By the IPA, so the um, independent, the no, independent practitioners. Oh, okay. Advertising. Like your four A's. <laughs> yes. The IPA. <laughs> yeah. um, you're quite accoladed yourself. Um, multiple can gold lines. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure countless of other awards. Um, what do the awards mean? Nothing. There's just something to say that it, it's proof in the pudding of I'm not just talking, I'm actually rolling my sleeves up and doing. So it's just being able to say, I did that, um, uh, you know, very openly and, and having everyone else who was a part of it be on that um, stage as well. But it was, uh, those are, are, again, that's just within the advertising marketing industry. I'm now starting to move around in a in a different world where those things they hadn't even heard of them. Right. So it's it's fine for that you know smaller. So I, I find myself branching out and and not staying within kind of the confines of that one industry um, because I've been in that industry for a very long time. I know it really well and there's some great people in it. But it's really good to be able to move away and understand business in a, a much broader sense. Is that ex- I think there's there's two sides to that coin. One is, what are you doing over here in supply chain, <laughs> right? Um, how do you convince somebody that it doesn't matter what level of expertise you have in that particular industry? Yeah. It's the process and the thinking and the vision you can like. How do you convince them that that you're the right product for them? Well, because I know more than them. <laughs> That's it. I I don't mean to be arrogant about it, but I've been around a very long time and I've been working in this space of not advertising and marketing, but in gaming and mobile and social and and augmented reality and VR and and 3D printing. And I know enough to be dangerous about all of those. Um, So dependent on what the problem is within the supply chain, whether it be blockchain or whether it be... um, uh, 3D printed food or biotech or, or um, whatever it is, I will know someone who knows more than me to help them. And, and that, because they don't know what they don't know, right. which, is, which is fine. And that's why they'll come to, to me, hopefully, to, to work out how to, to know. <laughs> no, I, I, I 100% agree. I think it's, it's funny because, it, like, you can, because you have fresh eyes, yeah. right? You can walk into an industry you haven't seen before yeah. and go like, I, like make a, an assessment and an accurate assessment at that yeah. and then offer up almost 
from a place of naivete, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, have you guys ever thought about doing it this way? And yeah. like, no. Or and you start to apply other principles and mm. industries and things you've seen to their world, which yeah. that, to me that's where disruption comes from. Well, it's it's asking <clears throat> them to be able to. Um, this isn't everyone's appetite. You know, a lot of people don't like change, but there will be a few people within organisations that think, I need to know. I must be doing this. Um, I must understand what is happening and I must embrace it in some way, shape or form. Not disrupt my whole business, but sections of it where I can see that I can make a change. Yeah, no, that's um, it's, it, that's great. It's It's... It's just one of those things, almost from a personal standpoint, it's like when you really want them to make the change for themselves. Mm. And that, that's also, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a nice example where they don't make the change because, okay, so when I do my lab for hire, I always get someone in to do my phase zero because I really don't want to be solving the wrong problem really well, which is um, kind of something, again, that wisdom teaches you that. And so the phase zero has um, one of my lab partners, he, he draws everything up on a hundred foot wall and will set an exam question. So the uh, CEO of a very large company said to me, you know, we want to innovate at the core of, you know, with 1900 of our people. So I said, okay, what does that mean to you? And he told me what it meant to him. Five other people said something different. I said, okay, we're going to do a phase zero because otherwise no one's going to be in agreement around the table and it, I'll just go off and solve the wrong problem really well. Right. So we did this phase zero. The exam question was exactly that, you know, how do how can we innovate much more so at the very core of 1,900 people? And that exam question went up on the wall and then we started to, you know, what does innovation mean to you? And then we then start to map out... Um, who are your stakeholders and what do the stakeholders want? And a lot of the time they don't know that either. And then we start to really kind of get into the, the you know, leverage business models, um, doing things differently with partners and collaborations and Black Book and all the things that we've been talking about. And then someone, a couple of people around the table say, but that's that's business transformation. And we're like, well, yeah. They said, well, <laughs> well we don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's you know it's very difficult for a lot of companies they to to walk the walk and talk the talk yeah um and so it was very apparent that i said okay well that's fine then don't ask me to put innovation mm-hmm. at the core because that then starts to look at hr it looks starts to look at your hiring process it starts to look at a whole load of other things that you need to change that you don't want to. Right. So that's fine. Just wheel me in when you want to show something innovative and then come back out. But that's not going to keep you in survival mode. So, um, you know, there's there's lots of conversations that we have like that that maybe don't work out in the end. But it's good to know then mm-hmm. rather than go a whole route and do something that actually no one really wants. No, it's, it's one of those things where, you, you know, you walk into a room and it's like you said earlier, you, you don't know what you don't want. It's just like yeah. you don't even know where to, where to start. Like you, a lot of companies think they want the change. And we've heard that, like I've heard this for years. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, they say they want yeah. out of the box or new or like, all right, well, here's how you get there. You're like, well, they well, don't really. Well, <laughs> so you just got to find the ones that do or are able to do it in a, in a small way. Because you don't, you can't do it in a massive way immediately. But slowly, slowly, you get a good CEO that gives you buy-in, and you can really start to make those changes. 
which is what I talk about in the book, which is I was allowed for 16, 17 years to be a maverick. You know, every year I would see my CEO at the time, Paul O'Donnell, and he would say, is everything okay? I say, yeah, great. He'd say, great, see you next year then. You know, he <laughs> allowed me to do what I do yeah. best. And yet, you know, when someone else came in, um, not so much because they have a different way of managing. Yeah. And, and that, I mean... Business modeling is not always uh, the right, the best environment for real innovation. Yeah. You know, like some of my favorite guests that I've had on the show, Guy Belouche from L'Oreal, mm. um, the head of innovation at Adidas. Like, I asked this question, like, what's your KPI? You're inside of a company that makes products and sells them. Yeah. And they're like, we don't have one. Yeah. But they've made some amazing award-winning products. Like, that's where the L'Oreal makeup genius came from. It yeah. came from, like... I don't have any rules and I'm going to break some. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard pill to, for people to swallow. Mm. Um, what, uh, cause Claudia's here. What? Should we say who Claudia is my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she got a shout out earlier. She, yeah. She's going to be on the show. Um, quite literally maybe. But um, what do you want to pass along to your kids? Like a lot of this is business conversation, but it is business and life. Yeah. Like what are some of those things that you, I don't know, keep you up at night as a, as a parent, you know, on this journey? Um, I've never, you know, my, my way of parenting was very much to let them make their own decisions and just support them, just let them know that, you know, I love them no matter what, whatever they decide. Um, but really mainly just a strong sense of self so that they believe in themselves because there's going to be plenty of people that are going to make them think that they're rubbish or, or don't put that idea forward. Or, but if they believe in it, and they have a strong sense of self, then they're able to um, to show some courage and um, and also truth and honesty. Just just have a pair of balls and and just say it like it is because it. Well, not you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe brother. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, I have it. Just in general, just honesty is not an easy thing. It really isn't an easy thing. It's easier to lie sometimes or or be passive aggressive or gloss over it, but it's very difficult. Like Claudia, we were at an event um, yesterday on the day before and um, she, I was getting up and down and because I was finding it quite difficult to be enclosed in a very large space for so many hours after coming off a plane for 11 hours. And I knew she probably felt the same. The difference is I'll do something about it. I'll get up, I'll walk around, I'll say, do you know what, I need to get out of here. I need to go and, and have a walk along Venice Beach and she, Venice Beach and she was like I can't believe that you did that you know that that's that's really rude or you'll get into trouble and I want her to feel that she can just be herself um and there's no one judging her it's not that she's a bad person it's just it wasn't working for me and I'd rather just be myself and and so hopefully I can teach her not to be frightened about just being herself or saying if something's not working for her yeah, that's awesome. And I think I was also just like being mindful in that process. Yes, you can walk away as long as you're like, hey, I'm going to like, yeah. <laughs> you know, don't just disappear. Yeah. And I think that happens in, in so many different other areas where like for a very long time, you know, I, I started my career doing stand up. And like when I started working more in business, I was very scared to be funny. I didn't want to be yeah. the funny dude. And then, <laughs> like nobody would take me serious, um, let alone if I'm not funny as is. But uh, this idea, like, eventually I just started letting more and more of myself be a yeah. part of my process. You know, most of my brainstorms are 
pun driven. Yeah. Right? It's like, I'm like, I'll make some joke and I'm like, actually, that could work, <laughs> you know, um, but that's who I am. Yeah. And I think it's we but you have to learn how to be yourself in spite yeah. uh, and in tandem with other people. What's the worst that, um, you know, they can say, the organisers, when I say I've been on a plane for 11 hours, I'm in this hotel, I feel caged and there's no light and it's air conditioning and I just need to get some fresh air and just, like, move my legs. And, right. you know, that's the truth. I could come up with a whole other excuse, <laughs> but the truth is the truth. And, and I'm there. I'm just not there... When I'm there, I give it 100%. I just can't be there and be fake. Right. Um, the show's called Innovation Crush. You remember that, right? I do. What is your current innovation crush? What's something you see out there and you're like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, it could be a book. It could be a meal you've had. It could be some crazy technological thing you've encountered. Um, I have a crush on people trying to set up their own companies um, and do good but make money. Social enterprise. I'm really, really, I've been talking about it for years and now we really start, I noticed in um, on Facebook with Mike uh, Butcher today that it's, it's in Europe, there are more startups now with a, that are socially driven cause. And that makes me feel very happy because they're, they're not NGOs, they're not um, charities, they're, they're companies that are setting themselves up to make money as a business, but also do good. That's great. Um, last but not least. Yeah. Complete this phrase for me. Uh, that, was, that was me doing a drum roll, guys. Innovation to me is... Change. It's going to happen. Inevitable. So just go with it. Um, where can people get the book? Where can they find you? Um, where um, I'm very lucky that my parents gave me a name that nobody else has. <laughs> so everything is Nicole Yershin. Um, There's no Nicole Yershin out there? No. Really? No, it's just me. I got an email from a guy named Waco Hoover. <laughs> Waco Hoover. Yes. Okay. I was like, this isn't a real email. And then, <laughs> sure enough, he's a real person. Yeah, no, there is only Unique one. names. Yeah. There's, there's a Chris Denson who's an Atlanta real estate agent. And there's another one who's a basketball player. So I, I think there's probably a, a few. There's Denson's. Carl Denson, who's a jazz saxophonist. Yeah. What about a John Denson? There's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pops. Um, <laughs> we'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so um, you can, Nicole Yershin is on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. And Rough Diamond is out on the 7th of November. Woo! And um, yeah, very exciting. And uh, you can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or bookstores, you know, anywhere. What are you most proud of when it comes to the book, aside from having completed it? Uh, I think, yeah, completing it because when I started it, um, my mum was around physically and then she passed. And then I was told, okay, so we need 4,000 words a chapter. And I just thought, oh my god, I can't, I can't do this. This, I'm not a writer, and I had a bit of a meltdown. And um, but I just knew that when she passed, I had, she knew I'd started it. I had to finish it, and so that was my. I don't know whether I would have otherwise. It was that difficult. It was not an easy thing to do, but I did. Well, congratulations. Yeah, you are. Thank you. What you write. Um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.